Great. So look at the definition here. We have a, yeah, and if guys, if you're just coming in, there's a handout right here. I've got Webster's de de definition and uh, Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary definition. And in both instances, and under Webster's, to entice to do wrong by promise of pleasure or gain, or an enticement or invitation to sin with the implied promise of greater good to be derived from following the way of disobedience. Guys, I under underline promise in both those situations. A promise, and that's all it is. And I will submit to you as we look in the garden here, if we'd all open to Genesis 3, uh, that's what all that Satan did with Eve, is promise something. Let's look at Genesis, Genesis 3, 1 through 6. And essentially what, we, what we're going to read here is, uh, is a little dialogue that Eve had. And, and put yourself in Eve's shoes here, guys. And put yourself in the circumstance that most plagues you. Okay? And uh, then we'll open to prayer. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God says, you shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Let's open in prayer here. Heavenly Father, our seed is from Adam and Eve. We walk with sin in our fleshly body, and its desires sometimes are overwhelming. And Lord, we know when we put our hope and trust in you, and we seek to know Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, that victory over temptation and sin can be ours. Lord, as we speak to one another here today, be, let the Holy Spirit lead this discussion. Empty me and fill me with your spirit. And these men here, Lord, have them edify me. Because we all are in a walk, Lord. And uh, we thank you for this wonderful process of living prior to coming home to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, uh, let's switch to 1 John 2, 16 and 17 and look at the ramifications or what led Eve to this discussion. And guys, one thing that strikes me is that here, as, as you're looking that up, look, look in verse 2 in Genesis, it's 3-2, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. Eve was not without sustenance. She, had, she could eat from any tree of the garden. So it wasn't like she was being denied something. But what she felt was that God was holding something back from her. There's something better out there. But God loved her so much that she didn't want, he didn't want her to have the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, as we'll see, 
in 1 John 2, 16 and 17, the three elements here are all that Eve embraced and what we embrace when we are led into temptation. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of the God abides forever. Lust of the flesh, her desire to satiate an appetite with something beyond the fruit that she had in the garden. Lust of the eyes. In verse 5, excuse me, in verse 6 of Genesis, she saw, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes. What great, great, great words. A delight to the eyes. How many of us in this room have been sucked down the drain by the light of the eyes? It's right between the eyes. And then... The tree was from God. It's in the middle of the garden. But God said, don't eat of this tree lest you die. And the dying from the standpoint of death is not a symbolism. Our relationship is broken. Our perfect, harmonious relationship will be broken and you die as a result. And um, further on in 16, the boastful pride of life. I love this one. In Genesis 6, 3, 6, was desirable to make one wise. She wanted to be like God. And all of us in this room, guys, are of that seed. And we want to be like God, whether we admit it or not. We, uh, we want to be titillated and tantalized. And we want to satiate our appetite in the, on the terms and conditions that we think are best for us. When we're walking with Satan. Okay? We have that seed in us. It's not something we ever escape from. Okay? And the wonderful process that God has us involved in here is to prepare us for eternity. And yet, some of my friends are bogged down to the degree that they've lost their wife, their home, their children, their job, and every cent they once had. Crack cocaine addiction, I've seen it, and I've seen the results. So guys, we never get away from it. It's just a degree to which we appropriate the power of God in our lives to get victory, period. And all I'm going to do here today is talk about, talk about Bible verses that you can take with you with this one sheet of paper and appropriate if God so moves you. These things have worked for me, and uh, my fruit, as we'll see in our purpose statement, is uh, evidence based on what my friends are telling me. So these things work and uh, have real place in our lives. Uh, recognizing our potential to yield to temptation, we've gone through the garden. We're always one step away from it. And where is man with God, and are we deceiving ourselves or seeking God? Let's look at Luke 6.46 and 2 Corinthians 26.3-5. Who would be so kind as to read Luke 6.46 and someone... Sec- great... And then someone, uh, 2 Corinthians 26, 3 through 5. Excuse me. Did I, uh, I've said 2 Corinthians? Let me. Yes. 2 Chronicles, excuse me. <laughs> Here I am. 2 Chronicles 26, 3 through 5. Okay? What we're going to talk about here is, uh, is, uh, well, we'll, we'll let's hear from our first on uh, 
Luke 6.46, please. Luke 6.46. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And I'd call us uh, some of the religious people today, right? We all like to say that we're wrapping our flag and, and the idea of, hey, I'm a very religious person. And yet, God has us to have called, called on us to obey Him, and we do not do what He says for us to do. That's a first sign of deception in our lives if we are not following the credo of God and Jesus Christ. Second Chronicles 26, 3 through 5. Who has that? Go ahead, Dave. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. That is all we hear about King Uzziah in the Old Testament. That is all we hear about him. Verses 1 through 5. And I just kicked out 3 through 5. But the key is in verse 5. As long as, long as he continued to seek God, God prospered him. Now, guys, any friend of mine that is entangled in sin in a continual basis is not seeking God, plain and simply. And in any of you in this room that have reoccurring sin in your life or tempted to get into that, uh, the degree to which you're seeking God, you need to analyze. You've got to say to yourself, am I honestly seeking God and His will for my life? Okay. That was Second Chronicles, excuse me. Second Chronicles 26, 3 through 5. And my abbreviation there, you could confuse it with Corinthians, but it's Chronicles. Um, what are the implications of it? This is... This is uh, Obvious, uh, James 1, 13 through 14, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this, but essentially what we're looking at in that is, let no man say who is he who is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Temptation is not sin, guys. But when it's carried away and leads to sin, it is. It is absolute, uh, it, it is dead wrong, Yes. We're called to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Mm-hmm. Lay it on the altar. The eyes are delighted by perhaps, I don't need to describe anything, but sure. uh, you know, we all stand there and all of a sudden some young lady walks by. At what point do you feel that temptation to, to look shifts gears in it and in the grappling of Excellent lead-in question to our, and I will answer that by getting down to the ripple effects in Second Samuel, right down here in item B3. The snowball effect is, uh, and, we'll, and we will answer that question very concisely, snowball effect in Hebrews 10, 26, and 27. First of all, why don't you guys all go jump to 2 Samuel 11, and I'll read for you Hebrews 10, 26. For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. That is sobering. Without repentance, where are we with God? 
Would you hand that back all the way back? If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. How many friends of yours who have professed Jesus Christ and their Lord and Savior have uh, walked from it? Do, you, uh, do you have, all of you know someone that's done that? Who has been... Yeah, but sinning willfully and continuing in it. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Your, their whole question of salvation is brought into question. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's sobering. Second uh, Samuel 11, 1. No question about that. And if, if someone doesn't repent, one's question of whether they were saved in the first place is all that remains. And only God in their heart will know that. Well, backsliding comes, uh, obviously there's repentance with backsliding if, in fact, you see someone repent at some point. You can say just as a backslider. But a person that never does, uh, you know, they could repent 10, 15 years out. But I'm saying, you know, all, we can, all we're called to do is just call into question their salvation. I'm not saying they are or not. It's between that God and that man's heart. Mm-hmm. It's right there in Hebrews 10. It's on your every scripture I'll be referring to is listed in your uh, reference sheet. Okay, do you have one? Did you get a sheet? Yeah, it's right there. Hebrews 10, 26, and 27. Now we're going to look at the life of David. And this is a fascinating life, if you ask me. Uh, he's, he's one of my favorites. Uh, and I'm going to paraphrase, because um, not to read it all, but verse 2. David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. He saw a woman bathing and was very beautiful in appearance. Does this ring true to what Adam or Eve saw in the garden in a lot of ways? You see some parallels here? There was restlessness. What else can I do? I've conquered. I've got the world at my doorstep. And I'm, he's up at night, restless, walking around and saying, what else is there? He sees a woman very beautiful in appearance. She's naked. And, and uh, the lust of the eyes is... Kicking into action. Verse 4, he lay with her. Verse 5, I am pregnant. Verse 15, place Uriah in the front lines of the fiercest battle. Verse 24, Uriah the Hittite is dead. Verse 27, David sent for Bathsheba and brought her. She became his wife. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Guys, we see temptation in verses, verse 2 leading to disaster. And this is what I'm talking about, the ripple effect of temptation. Okay? We have the snowball effect of backsliding. We have the ripple effect of Uriah's dead, a woman's pregnant, and uh, we have murder and adultery. That's ripple, if you ask me. And a whole lot of lives have been affected. And we're kidding ourselves if we dabble. Second Samuel 12. Let's switch over there. David, Second Samuel 12, verse 1. Excuse me. Second Samuel 12, verse 5, 7, 9, and 14. Go to 14. David's, and I'm going to read in 5. David's 
anger burned greatly against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. In verse 7, Nathan then said to David, You are that man. And in verse 9, we, Why have you despised the word of the Lord? And in verse 14, The child also that is born to you shall surely die. A repercussion here now. The son born out of that adulterous situation, God said, that, that son will not survive. We're going to leave David here now. We're going to answer your question. You know, at what point, you know, what, what, where, what is the me- mechanism here? The entertainment of the thought. You, you see this beautiful woman, and we entertain a thought. We examine the thought. We say, what would that be like? We enjoy the thought. We vicariously live it. We experience what was previously a thought personally. And that can be vicariously or, as I heard yesterday, words, thoughts, and deeds. The only difference is opportunity. If uh, that nice young lady just lays herself at your doorstep, we can experience firsthand. We can experience through our fantasies. And then we excuse the attitude of sin. Boy, I mean, I love it. I love it when a guy is entrenched or enmeshed in sin. The rationalization. And then the personal attacks on me. It come, always comes to that. You can't possibly relate to what I'm going through. You holier-than-thou SOB. This is brother to brother. I love the rationalization. And then you know um, they are enveloped by it. And guys, that's the whole process right there in a nutshell. The entertainment of thought, the examination of thought, the enjoyment of the thought, experience of what was previously thought, excuse of the attitude, and then enveloped by it. Go ahead. Say as uh, a uh, guy who had backslidden for a period of seven years after walking and knowing the Lord Jesus uh-huh. seven years prior, never once did a man come and confront me and say, "You are the man." And I guess you know I had guys. Uh, I'll never forget. I got involved in a deep study in Hebrews with a bunch of guys and. After sharing a portion of my testimony, one of the guys says, maybe you weren't even saved before. You know, Maybe you didn't come to know the Lord Jesus. And I know otherwise. I know that, in fact, I was. I saw fruit. I you know, sure. really saw God work in my life yet. And I, and I look back, and boy, you've hit it right on the nose. The eyes, the scene, the delight. And then there she was, right in there. and it was there was no stopping it. Guys, we can do this. I guess I want to encourage just to close. Yeah, excuse me. I want to encourage just to say, if you see a guy heading into it, confront him. And yeah, I think last night Ted DeMoss uh, talked very eloquently about pursuit. Pursuit of a brother that we see in a circumstance that may not be beneficial to his well-being as he walks to the Lord. I think it's incumbent, and I think we answer. I think we answer to it. Yes, in the, just you. You bet, uh, and we'll get to your question. Uh, we've got the uh, entertainment of the thought, the examination of the thought. Eve in that garden examined that fruit, and it became a delight to her eye. Enjoyment of the thought, experience of what was previously a thought or actual experience of what was previously thought, the excuse of the attitude of sin, or call it rationalization, and then enveloped by it. And what we're seeing is 
the, as, we, as we look at the implications of it, it leads to actions outside of God's will for our life. There are snowball effects to it as we are ultimately enveloped by it. And there are ripple effects. The wives, the companies, the friends. I mean, think of your, think of your witnessing to friends. My witness to friends when I am enveloped by sin and what kind of witness that is for Jesus Christ. Question in the back. Yeah, I just wanted to go back and hit, if I could, for just a moment, on a couple comments on in the Hebrews uh, uh, 10.26. Sure. If we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. I think we need to be a little bit careful of that, to think that I know that in my own life I have willfully sinned, and I think if we fess up, we all have. But if we continue to willfully sin... Because I think if we willfully sin, we also have to remember we're under God's grace. And, and that if we mess up, we don't need to get beat up too bad. But if you continue to willfully sin, I think is maybe a, a better understanding of that, possibly. As well as having been a backslider, backslidden Christian for 18 years, when it comes to the, the salvation in this situation, uh, if the sin doesn't bother you, even when you're backslidden, then that's when you got to question salvation. Because I always say a backslidden Christian is much more unhappier than a unsaved person okay. because the unsaved person has never known the joy and peace of being saved okay. and the backslidden person has. So if you can continue to willfully sin and it not bother you, then you got a real concern. Yeah, and I think we're all here, you know, saying... You know, part and parcel, the, to me, the, t- the, the attraction to talking to you about this was developing a talk about this and, and discovering in my own self my shortcomings apart from Jesus Christ uh, and knowing, knowing that person's life, uh, our Savior's life. And this is uh, all I can encourage you to do is do a study on your own of these verses and uh, you will be edified. And the things that you are feeling most convicted on or I am tired of this temptation coming up and sometimes leading to sin. Not all the time, but sometimes. But I'm tired of the first part, the entertainment of the thought, the examination of the thought, and the enjoyment of the thought. Because I don't want to get enveloped by the sin. And this, believe me, this framework that has been developed here works. And we'll get to purpose right now. Developing a biblical perspective of dealing with temptation. Our purpose statement, guys. Do each of you in this room have a purpose statement as it relates to your life on earth? Okay. One, one hand, how many, how many people have a purpose statement? Two, three, four. Okay, guys, without a purpose statement, you are dead. <laughs> okay? It's like going into our battle. Okay, we're, we've got uh, our worst enemy. I can't think of who our worst enemy is we, on a global perspective, but let's go back ten years and say it's the Russians, and they're coming right over the hill at us. And we're going to fight them the way we are right now. We have no game plan. We have no weaponry. We have no equipment whatsoever. What chance do we stand? Without a purpose statement, knowing what we want to be with God, we are dead. And uh, it takes work, but there is a booklet downstairs. And then on the back of this sheet of paper, you'll see it mentioned, Establishing Your Purpose. That booklet was written, I think, by Gail. It's Ministry in the Marketplace. Guys, it is invaluable. If you do not have a purpose statement, and this is important to you, get that booklet and develop one. 
because uh, essentially purpose uh, is not a process. I mean, it's not an event one day. It's a process, and we are called to live our lives by faith. And uh, finding our purpose, is this is awesome. It's either deduction, association, emulation, or personalization. And guys, let's, ident- let's identify with these first three, the ones without purpose, uh, without a purpose statement. Deduction, adding it all up at the end based on my life's activities, a post-mortem purpose. Was Admiral Rickauer an example of post-mortem purpose or what? Was that chilling? Okay, now we're all in that boat without a purpose statement, guys. We're an Admiral Rickover. Association, another way to establish our purpose. Families, companies, churches, clubs, and and complying with the corporate purpose of a couple of those organizations. We can comply with those and then develop our purpose from that. I'm in the best club, I'm in the best church, I'm in the best company, and we vicariously... Uh, you know, live through those things, and that's called our adopted purpose. We have nothing to do with that. We're just part of a, a corporate culture, and we adopt it. And that's as, as dangerous as the postmortem purpose, the emulation, another way to establish it. Heroic figures, our, a father, a son to a father, I want to be just like my dad. Uh, hairstyles, fashions, whatever. And that's the vicarious purpose. I want to be like. X, Y, Z. And guys, those three approaches, you experience burnout and you blame the world for your failures and disappointments. And have we all had friends or are we at one time in our life blaming the world or our circumstances for our problems? Amen to that? I guarantee you I was. More importantly, it's the personalization. This is the way to do it. Personalization. The source has to be God to have lasting meaning. And it's defined by God and not by me. As much as I want to be like God, as, as that seed is in me, because of the Garden of Eden, God defines it, not me. And if I am squirming in my chair right now and saying, I don't like what I'm hearing, then I know that I am probably willful outside of God. And um, we get to know God intimately through this. And we do this as we get into the scriptures and apply them to our lives. Guys, show show of hands, how many of you read the Bible every day? About half. I would guess in most of when I've given this talk before, about half raise their hands. All I can say is to the other half, I've been in that boat. And uh, guys, don't cheat yourselves anymore. Not enough time in the day, Ned. You can't possibly relate to my circumstance. B.S. Without God every day, guys, starting your day off, you are dead. It's the Russians coming over the hill again. You are not equipped to handle the world that you are about to move into on a day-by-day basis. I encourage you. It's not a have-to. It's a get-to. You get to start your day in the Word of God, and your day and all that the Lord has planned out for you will have meaning. It is just an absolute must. True fulfillment can come from this approach, personalization and our purpose. The ultimate purpose, the universal purpose, and the unique purpose. Obviously, we want to get to the unique purpose of what we are here to do for God. And again, I will not go into this any more than to say the booklet downstairs will help you do it. And if it's important to you to get victory over temptation and sin, not ultimate, but major, we never get beyond it because of the process we're in. 
that book downstairs is a must read for you. The evidence of purpose. This is always a good one. This is a squirmomatic too <laughs> for people. Four things to write down here. Evidence of a biblical. This is not. This is just the purpose statement in, in um, item one. Okay? And um, the, the, it all is contained in the booklet downstairs. Okay? And this is a temptation talk, but I'm talking that if we're going to get victory over temptation, we need to have a biblical purpose in, for our life. Or we're just like we build our house on sand. We are, we are kidding ourselves. So it is the cornerstone to your victory or your battle in temptation. And evidence of purpose. It should make a difference in the fruit of your life. And the fruit of life we'll get to, very specifically. People should become our focus. Not manipulating people to meet your ends, but a deep love for them and where they are, where their soul is, where it's going to end up. It should produce contentment in your life. Produce contentment in your life. We're all seeking it. And lastly, I feel a keener sense of dependence upon God. And guys, I can assure you, in the last six months as I've developed this talk, my dependence on God has grown exponentially. And it is exciting. The things that used to matter to me, that drove me, that uh, motivated me, have fallen away as trivial baubles and trinkets. And that's exciting. That is a keener dependence on God. When living out our purpose, if we sense less dependence on God, we can be sure we are living outside the will of God and the will he has for our life. If we feel independent, guys, or we're trying to develop a controlled environment, one more deal, I've got enough income, and I am set, and I'm independent from God. We all want to be like God or independent from him. So, guys, dependence, dependence, dependence. Developing, you know, the, the guidelines and covenants and accountability. We're going to make it a very simple thing for you. We have our purpose in life, okay? I've developed that for you very, very briefly. But it, I did that because it is necessary for you to see that, um, that without a purpose statement, we're just we're, we're, we're casting at windmills. We, we don't have a game plan for living. We have convictions here, okay? And this is back to our subject matter. Convictions. And then we have biblical absolutes. Okay? Abs. Okay? Our purpose is our walk with God, right? Okay? We want to walk in this narrow confine right here. Okay? Staying dependent on him and operating within the biblical absolutes of the Ten Commandments and what the two greatest commandments, which are right, loving God and loving our neighbor. Staying within these requires convictions, armament. We'll get into it in Ephesians 6. Biblical absolutes we don't want to get into. right? We don't want to violate these. They're to our detriment. They don't benefit us in any way, shape, or form. We've got to go back to the altar and say, Lord, I've got to repent. You can see at the bottom of our page here, repentance is the key. It starts all right there. But we want to stay within these confines. And I'm telling you guys that from a temptation standpoint, I have sexual lust as my biggest temptation. Okay, I'm a single man, 38 years old. 
Prior to coming to the Lord, I slept with anyone. I manipulated women. I was just like, Joe, I was the king of the heathens. I came to the Lord, and uh, I've, I, I'm saying I don't want to violate that biblical absolute of sleeping or fornication outside of marriage. It's all something we can relate to. And so until I develop convictions, i.e., not developing my conviction of I'm going to withhold my you know, sexual desires here in the backseat of the car in the drive-in with my pants unzippered. I'm going to develop my conviction statements now. No, 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 no. doesn't work, boys. We've got to be equipped before. So the convictions are key here to maintain our purpose. Our purpose is to know God, trust Him, and to know Christ and trust Him. And again, that growing dependence. And the exciting thing about this is you might all be sitting here going, God, this sounds like a whole lot of work. I've got to develop a purpose statement, and I've got to, get, I've got to uh, follow these, all these rules and regulations. No. We're going to get to, in the bottom of this thing, some issues relating to the fruit and real victory and a joyful, joyful existence with God. And uh, that is what this is all about. Um, questions on any of this so far? Is this making sense to you? Is it all one ear and out the other? Question back here. Anything? Fine. Yeah. I understand. Are you saying that we're hemmed in by our convictions, which are hemmed in by biblical absolutes? We're not hemmed in by anything. Yeah, I don't don't quite understand that. Visualize that we are on a narrow path, and the Lord lights our path, right? And we want to stay on that straight and narrow path with the Lord. Convictions help us to maintain that. You may say, I can have a beer. If you have someone in here has a drinking problem, I can have a beer, and it won't get me, lead me to have five more and be drunk. But another guy says, you put the smell of that stuff near me, and I'm in trouble. So we each develop convictions in that particular area so that we can have, what? Victory. We have the potential to not violate the biblical absolutes of drunkenness, sleeping, you name it. You've all got your battles. Put your battle out there and then say, okay, what convictions do I personally develop to make sure I don't violate them? Okay, does that make sense? It's a good question. I'm glad that you asked it. Does it make sense to each of you? There's a challenge on the back side of the sheet of paper on just this regard. No question about that. No question. Christian liberties. Romans. Yeah. Legalism, absolutely. And guys, hey, you know, we're beyond that. You know, we've been, we're coming out of that. The Old Testament talks about legalism. And we look at the covenant, the new covenant with Christ says, hey, let's not go back to that. Absolutely right. But Christian liberties say also, don't do something that causes a brother to stumble. You may say in your house, I can serve alcohol. But you have a brother over that even the smell of it says, it's going to make me stumble. You don't bring it up if you're bringing him over. There are Christian liberties that we have, we must adhere to. So there, that borders on that legalism issue. But you're doing it for the benefit of the other. Yes? One of the things as far as conviction is a simple question I try to ask myself is, you know, when when faced with temptation, what would Jesus do? Absolutely. I mean, because if, if, if he wouldn't do it, 
Number one, then we shouldn't be doing it. Number two, uh, and secondly, when I, I heard Gail make the statement one time that I really liked, it said, "Hey, you can do what you want to do." And he says, "I got the good news, bad news syndrome. You can do what you want to do, but someday you get to review it with God." And uh, uh, I think that's pretty pretty good too. But you have to establish convictions. Uh, and I, it's simple one for me is that you know what would Jesus do if He were here? Let's go back to the Garden of Eden, and let's say Eve asked this question between verses three and four. I think you have a wonderful plan here, serpent or Satan or however she wants to address address him. But let's get God involved in this dialogue. God's coming back any time now. I have dialogue with him all the time. Let's have him discuss this issue also and see what his ideas are on it. That's exactly what you're saying. And if we involve, if Jesus Christ was sitting in this chair right next to me right now based on what I'm going, going leading to do, I might potentially be doing, what would he say? God, that's a powerful, powerful tool. Absolutely. In your convictions. Yes? I think um, that, that the bottom line of that is conviction because that's excellent good advice. But when you're right in the middle of it, it's like, I don't want to think about that because right. I know what the answer is. And it's not the answer I want right now. So the conviction before that is essential to make that work. I love how the Lord leads discussions because what we're going to go to is Ephesians 6 right now. And that builds on just that. If we don't go, if we don't have the armament to go into battle, guys, we don't want to make that decision. Hey, exactly. It's not even part of the dialogue. I already know the answer to that one, and I don't want to talk about that right now. I have the lust of the eyes, flesh, or boastful pride of life that's overwhelming me right now. So let's see how we get victory over that. Go ahead. Let me just conclude that thought and say that when we're tempted, I'm, I'm saying to myself more than anybody else that remember the Lord said, I am with you always. And if somehow by God's grace I can manage to remember that when faced with the temptation. No question. Say, you know, if the Lord were sitting right here and in fact there is two or three. I'm, I'm not a mathematician. I was never known for that, but there is more than two or three of us here that are gathered in his name. So he is. And uh, maybe we focus on that. No question. It's the, I mean, that's it. But do we, do we in that circumstance really uh, grasp that? I say no. I'd say no, or we wouldn't be doing what we do. We push it out. Absolutely. So let's get on to Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong. Someone read 10 through uh, 12. 10 through 13, please. Okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the day of evil, and having done everything, to stand firm. Guys, do we appropriate those words? Those words have meaning to us, do they? We've all read this before, haven't we? Those words have meaning to you? That we have a way out of what you've just described most eloquently. Yeah, there's the answer. The answer is there, but let's go deeper now. We can sit here and theorize and, and sort of say, geez, that's neat for you, Ned, that you've got that. But guys, the goal of this is to, to build you and me so that we have a better witness to a lost world. That is the goal of this process. 
Not, oh golly, you know, woe is we, woe is me, woe is me. But hey, what kind of witness am I to the souls that have not been one to Christ? Okay? That's the emphasis of this. And uh, let's look at it now. 14. How do we, what kind of armor do we have? Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's look at the girding your loins with truth. It's an apron and belt. You know, you've seen them in all the old movies. There's a big belt and it's kind of hung down a little. But the most important thing about that was that it supports the sword. The sword went, went through there, okay? So the truth is about God and his power over Satan, okay? That is the truth. And if we are not appropriating that in life, we do not believe that God has dominion over Satan, then we're, we're kidding ourselves. We're setting ourselves up for failure. And that gives us hope in our temptations. He has the power. We appropriate the power. We can have victory over these temptations that will not lead us into sin. Breastplate, breastplate of righteousness protects the vital organs. Okay, it's right here. Just visualize this stuff. And um, so much of what we feel is in this part of our body, isn't it? We're swept away by that beautiful look, that irresistible urge for the next drink, the desire to build an empire, you know, next building, more buildings, more wealth, political power or prestige, whatever it might be. That's where they come from, right in here. This feeling for, wow, I want to be something. And um, it's interesting that uh, the breastplate, the, this is an eloquent statement out of Charles Stanley's book, which is, which is a reference on the back. A very, very good teaching ministry, uh, Charles Stanley. Breastplate protects vital organs and chest, so much of what we feel is in this area of the body, as I've just told you. So this guards us, the breastplate of righteousness, righteous thought, guys, for making decisions on what we feel rather than what we know to be right. What we feel versus what we know to be right. Guys, we need that armament or we're going to be just set up for the failure we're all talking about here. And then in verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shoes of peace. Where we go, that is what we should leave. Peace. Okay? The gospel of peace. Sharing the good news. That's what our life should look like. Shod your feet with the gospel of peace. In addition to that, in verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you may be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. What are the flaming missiles of the evil one, guys? Temptation. Thoughts. Those thoughts. Temptations and thoughts... We just we have this reel in our head, guys. We can recall anything, and then we can just go. And it is an awful, awful, awful legacy, if you will, prior to coming to the Lord. Faith, Faith is associated with the shield because God has us go into situations of potential criticism or failure. So when we choose to get Choose to go, we get to walk by faith, and our faith is the defense against fear, insecurity, anxiety, and anything else that would keep us from moving out in obedience to God. Guys, 
I, I, I can't tell you how that talked to me. Fear, insecurity, and anxiety. Faith. Shield of faith. I am moving out right now. with and these, the, I have put this on. And I'm carrying this. And the shield of faith, as Charles Stanley talks about it, is almost the size of a door. It's not those little round things that they use in the movies. It's huge stuff. Maybe it's sometimes just drenched them in water. So that when they would fl- sh- fling the firing, firing uh, f- the arrows with fire on them, they would be put out. These things were huge, and we we can appropriate that kind of power. The visualization of this, all I can suggest is get into this word and meditate on it and appropriate it in your life. And then seventeen, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The uh, helmet of salvation was uh, the, was very ornate. It was, a, it was an ornate kind of thing. Our salvation should get people's attention and protection of our mind where the spiritual war is won or lost. See, it does two things. It gets the attention of people. Wow, what's different about you? And it protects our mind. Okay? And we are saved from the results of temptation when we choose to be obedient. Our salvation in Christ gives us the potential to say yes to God and no to sin. Guys, if we do not, and Charles Stanley starts every single morning of his life reading and meditating on Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Every single day he puts on the armor so he is equipped on a moment-by-moment basis to do just as we are talking about here, to turn away those thoughts before they become enjoyable to us. And guys, I am here to tell you that in my lustful, fantasizing world that I lived in that I have had victory. And this was my deepest, darkest, uh, if you will, burden to bear. It was my alcoholism. It was my whatever, workaholism. It was my aholism. (laughs) And all I can say is, guys, as I've meditated on these words in the last two years of my life and specifically in the last six, the victory has been unbelievable. The people around me have said, what is different about you? The fruit, as we talked about. And the contentment has been overwhelming. Unbelievable. And uh, dependence on God. And knowing where I'm going to be in eternity with Him. And my small part in this play grows every day. The awesomeness of God. And guys, it gives me chills talking to you about it. And I am telling you, that's what you get. It's not this lifelong battle of, oh, what's going to tempt me today? That is settling for trinkets and baubles. There is a glorious treasure that the Lord wants us to enjoy on this earth as we prepare to go home and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy I have reserved for you. And guys, that gives me a charge. It's not this battle, battle royale every day. It's what do I get to do with you today, God? How are you going to use me today? And these issues, the sexual fantasy fantasy for me, I haven't had a problem with celibacy. But the fantasizing aspect with my big, big ball and chain has been trivialized. It's not defeated, but it's trivialized to the degree that I can just now, when I see it, I can recognize it for what it is, say there is no future in this, this is outside the will of God for my life, the conviction situation, and move away from it and, re- and just revel in God's glorious plan for me 
that day, moment by moment again. Does this make sense, guys? Am I giving you a little ray of hope, if you will, as it relates to, hey, let's not self-pity and wallow in this temptation thing, and boy, it's a battle net, etc., but that there is something greater for each of us. I hope you can appropriate it. Yes? Here's the thing I, I struggle with the most. Maybe you can help me because I just it's frankly a misunderstanding I have. Maybe. <laughs> but you know, Paul says in Romans that the things I should do, I don't do, and the things I don't do, I should do because my members war inside of me. Right. A constant battle, I think, personally, was a thing of lust with Paul. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, God says he looks upon the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. And I uh, used to travel a lot. Uh, and my biggest battle was the TV. Now, I could walk into a room with all good intentions. Uh, I would pray. I'd have my wife's picture up on top of the television. I'd do just about anything you could do Amen. Uh, for about uh, as long as 15 minutes. And I'd tell them to block them out or whatever. But the thing I don't understand is when the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. But yet, when you get in that my situation where there's a room, it's almost like another power takes over. Because I really don't want to do it mm-hmm. in the heart, but in the flesh I really do. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I lose the battle. Uh, but I don't, you know, I, I I don't understand if that is, and I know it's true. But greater is he that is in me as he in the world, and I can rebuke Satan. Why, when I do that, it doesn't work? You have a purpose statement you told me. That's correct. You also have, uh, are you putting on the armor? In other words, are you ready to face the battle that is day by day, moment by moment, by putting on the armor? No, I have not. I guarantee you, I am here to tell each and every one of you in this room, you meditate on these words, and you appropriate the power of these words in your life, not out of books, but out of the Word of God. You will get victory. Not ultimate we are always have sin in our heart. We have knowledge of good and evil. It happened in the garden. We know it. We will never get victory. Between that occasional sin, like any talk to uh, whoever, psychologists, preachers, whatever, uh, as to and separate it from whether it's alcohol, or, uh, gambling, or whatever, or uh, pornography. Uh, where do you separate that from, say, addiction? Well, I, I just, I, I'm not. You know, I'm not professionally licensed to comment on that other than I think addiction is just being really the, what we just talked about, totally enveloped by sin. Bondage. Bondage. I just, you know, I, I, I think we can all sit here and say we can put all kinds of categories over it. But, guys, I guarantee you that we are independent of God when we are enveloped by sin. We are saying, I love my sin more than I love you, God. Yes, just a challenge of something that worked for me and it works so well I quit doing it. You know how we all are. <laughs> You've had worked with a guy and I think hopefully we all work with maybe at least one Christian somewhere where we work. And every single morning when we got to work, the first thing we would say to each other is, have you got it on? And this is exactly what we were talking about. You know, did you spend the time before you came to work to put on the armor? And if, you, and if one of us had to say no, we simply, well, just a minute, I'll go put it on. And we went off someplace quiet. And, you know, just spent 60 seconds, you, did, you know, because we we're at work, but uh, and did that. And if you get somebody that you go to them every morning and say, if you got it on or they're going to come to you, it'll make you put it on more often. Amen. Gosh, and that's, thank you, Holy Spirit. Look at item four, accountability with the brother. Accountability with the brother. Guys, if you are an island out there, you're dead. 
<laughs> I'm not trying to be cavalier in any of these statements. I just know it. I've seen it. I do extensive work at the rescue mission in San Diego. Praise God. He has put me there. It's not something I desire to do. This is the dregs of life, guys, but, but, but for the grace of God, go on. And these guys, I'm telling you, when they get into an accountability relationship, the victory that they see is unbelievable. It brings me to tears. It brings me to tears to see souls saved from the bondage, the addiction, crack cocaine, of sexual immorality, of alcohol. Unbelievable stuff. You do cartwheels. As you see these guys then minister, their fruit is so, so, so robust that, that uh, others are convicted by it. I, um, I would encourage you to get back to that. There's a friend of mine I call, and every time he answers the phone, did I catch you in the spirit, is the way he answers the phone at his home. <laughs> did I catch you in the spirit? It's not hello or good morning. Did I catch you in the spirit? What a statement. What a moment-by-moment walk with God. Now, what's our time? What, what, what We have till 11, and we are right now at 11? Guys, is this meaningful to you? Are we, are we going in a direction that's, that that's, there's application and it's, it's going to have some effect? Is there a tangent you want to go on? Because what we've got left here is, is are some of the things that we're going to talk about to create a greater dependence on God. And I guarantee you, without that, we're going nowhere. Okay? That's a beautiful system that he has set up for each and every one of us. Yes? Do you have a microphone? I have a tough question. I'm trying to verbalize it. Can we ever completely overcome whatever the issue is, even like a a minor occasional fantasy? Can we ever, can we expect to completely overcome that? Uh, No. Thank you. I'm here to tell you no. And praise God. Praise God that he doesn't. You know why? Because we would grow, we would grow apart from him. The minute, the minute we would become God. If we got delivered in this existence where we are the seed of Adam and Eve, right? And we got delivered. I mean, go to Genesis 3.22. Just look at that. Praise God for these words. I think going from memory, it's 3.22. Who would read that for us? Someone with the microphone. Go ahead. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Thank you. Can you imagine...